Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 250, the late October 1989 issue, on sale June 20th, 1989, recover price of a dollar. This one's titled The Shattered Star. Yeah, we must have missed Prelude to Shattered Star Part 2. No, no, we didn't. I'll I'll show you where it is. Oh, is it in here? It's the first page. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't... Okay, all right. I can't wait for you to show me this. I'm imagining that when they go to Punta Arenas in the last issue, that's part two. I feel like maybe this was slated to be an annual. Oh, it could be. And uh, because, you know, in the annuals, they typically do like the part ones and the part twos. But that doesn't really make much sense because this isn't tied in with any stupid Marvel cross uh, thing. So I could be wrong about that. This is a weird 250th issue. It is. Like, but I imagine they couldn't make it double size because it's in the middle of them doing like two issues a month. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. It's also at a weird point, I guess, in the X-Men story where like what are they what would they do for a double sized issue? Um, oh, they would they would uh fill this up with filler. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awful. Uh, although I suppose better planning could have gotten them to issue 250. I wonder, remember in issue number 249, it said next issue is Fever Dream? Yeah, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking maybe the original intention was that the next issue was, or 250 was going to be 251. Right. Because And then they went back and changed their minds. I don't want to get too far ahead, but 251 kind of kind of ignites the next uh, I don't know, chapter of the X-Men, so it'd be a decent issue 250. And I, I read ahead, but I won't spoil it because we'll talk about it next time. Uh, it totally could have been blown out to a larger issue. So hmm. I feel like, I don't know, somewhere in the editorial board or Chris Claremont got crazy or maybe they had penciler issues, but eh, for some reason we get we get this instead. Maybe 251 and 252 were supposed to be 250. I don't know because 252 is not drawn by Sylvestrian Green. Maybe that's what the problem was. Could be. He, he ran out of steam in the middle and they had to get Rick Leonardi to fill in. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, let's stick in this weird uh, Zaladane story that was really just going to be one issue and make it two issues. Well, I mean... It clearly is going somewhere, but I don't. I feel like we don't pick up this thread of this issue. We're getting ahead of ourselves for quite a while. Yeah, we we will, and that's well. All right, let's just let's just get into it, Adam. Well, the first thing that I see about the cover is that it says Gaston and Caesar. Oh man! Finally, an uh, opportunity to bring out that French accent. <laughs> we haven't had Caesar on the show in a very long time. I sure hope we get to see Zebu. Well. Hold on to your hats. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Spoilers. There is no Zebu. The cover says Polaris no more, which, spoilers, is technically not true. Mm, is it? I don't I know. I don't know. I'm not really sure what's going on in this issue, to be honest. So, uh, And we'll find out some more stuff like as we go on in the X-Men comics about what's happening with Lorna Dane. Um, so this was just a weird... I don't know. I feel like this whole thing is a weird thing to do, but I, I'm okay with it. Uh, anyways, the cover itself, it's Zala Dane holding on to Lorna Dane's head 
uh, and sparks are flying out of Lorna's head. Um, it's an okay cover. Yeah, it's it's a standard Sylvestrian green joint. It's good, but has no background. Yeah. It would make a decent t-shirt because it has that lack of background. Yeah, this would actually make a pretty cool t-shirt, I think. Yeah. I mean, just from a design standpoint, like all the actions happening in the middle and everything in the foreground is like nicely lit and everything. You got some nice explosions in the background. People would definitely have no idea what this was. If you took the X-Men logo out, people would be like, why are you wearing a shirt of one woman torturing another woman? (laughs) That is one way to look at it. Yeah. So anyways... Well, uh, let's open this thing up. Um, evidently, this is a prelude to Shatterstar Part 2. Part 2 of the prelude to Shatter... What is it? Is it even called Shatterstar? The Shattered Star. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making stuff up at this point. Uh, and in the Antarctic, in Antarctica, there's some dialogue at a Russian um, army base, naval base, military base, research base, something like that. Uh, and there, there are a whole bunch of Russians that are uh, getting some uh, U.S. contraband at the base, and many of them are excited, and some are not. They're going to be able to see uh, the new Indiana Jones movie and Ghostbusters, but one of the guys is upset that Batman won't be a part of this. Did, I guess Batman must be a recent uh, release. Yeah, man, Batman 89, probably I mean, Batman 89 was the summer of 89's movie. Okay. I can, I can, I can accept that. Yeah. So this issue, I don't know. When did you say this issue came out? 1990? Late 1989? This issue came out in 19, uh, June of, June 20th of 1989. So. Oh, this is like right on the heels of Batman. Yeah. I mean, I, they probably had an inside scoop that Batman was going to be out. Mm. Maybe it was still in theaters. That could very well be. Which is why you don't remember how someone says, be real, Lasha. (laughs) Well, and this is in the days when a video cassette would cost you like $900 and you'd have to buy it from a video club. (laughs) Yeah, that that's true. That was why was that? It was, well, it's the same reason for anything. All the movie studios are like, nobody's going to go to the movie theater. We need to make these movies. $135. I remember going through catalogs, the Columbia VHS club uh, catalogs. Every now and then you'd see like Gremlins for 1995. You're like, oh, oh, got to get it. But other <laughs> times it'd be like Indiana Jones or Raiders of the Lost Ark, $89.95. Yeah, that was crazy. And you're like, well, who's paying for this? And this, these were, uh, this was, these were clubs that were established for general consumers. It wasn't like these are, I think Blockbuster's prices were like hundreds of dollars per tape. It's a good thing we've gotten away from that. That's why we brought those evil movie companies and video companies down. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised there wasn't. Maybe there was, and I just I'm not aware of it. But like an antitrust suit uh, against those places for price fixing those videotapes. I who 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 decides what they're worth? I have no idea. But uh, the compact disc industry they they had a, a remember all of the discs were I don't know 1995. And I feel bad that. for the 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 rich fellow who has who has like a, a very large and expensive VHS collection. Yeah, I bought Batman for hundred and sixty dollars. <laughs> I have like a huge collection. And then like all, like four years later, he's like, oh, oh, I could buy it on DVD for eight ninety nine. What a waste of money! What a waste of my life! Yeah, so that's uh, that's why DVDs, in my opinion, uh, were such a huge hit. Is that when they 
hit the scene, they were generally less than $30. And by the time mm-hmm. they were mainstream, they were like maybe $15, $20 a, a pop. And then they started introducing special features and people went crazy. Oh, man. Multiple Gotta editions. Watch the commentary track. Yeah. Well, that's when the studios realized like, oh, we can sell the same movie like 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be stupid not to do this. And and now mm. here we are with streaming and, and nobody. I mean, I, I have one person in my Facebook feed who is like a Blu-ray fiend. But nobody else I know does any sort of like physical video media i still buy blu-ray oh really yeah i mean no, I, I still buy mo- mostly mostly criterion okay uh but occasionally if a if a, if a blu-ray is less than ten dollars i'll buy it okay well and yeah. if it's a movie that i really love he's the guy that he's like when arrival is a new you know the movie arrival is a new arrival he's the guy that buys it on day one i don't buy anything day one yeah. unless it's unless it's under ten dollars sure sure or, or Criterion. Uh, I believe I own two Blu-ray discs. Wow. Yeah. I just don't have a good internet enough. I don't, I like, Oh. everything is, everything is like, you see the quality of a Blu-ray versus the quality of an HD streaming video. Blu-ray is just that much better that it was, it's worth it to me. I, I mean, I only have my two Blu-rays. Uh, one of them is the Angry Video Game Nerd movie. So... <laughs> That's f- streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Yeah, well, not when I bought the Blu-ray, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also have, I think, Evil Dead 2 on Blu-ray. So In which edition? There's like a 20. I don't know. Whatever edition was on Amazon for probably less than $10. Uh, my point is, is that those are not great baselines to determine like quality. No. Uh, I mean, they, they, they do a good job and whatnot, but... Uh, Compared to Netflix streaming, meh. And maybe I'm just not the video file I I used to be. I guess at this point, all I care about is the original aspect ratio, and like that. That's it, really. You can't always get that on the streaming services. Hmm. Yeah. Look at the Disney Plus Simpsons fiasco we yeah, talked about we talked a couple about weeks ago. That's why I don't have Disney Plus. Yeah. Screw those people. Supposed to fix that. I haven't done it yet. Right. Anyways, uh, <clears throat> these Russians. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, X Men. <laughs> they're expecting an unknown aircraft from the Savage Land, and they're like, "Oh, that's impossible." They're not expecting it. Well, oh, it says, uh, "Well, they're the opposite of expecting it. They're not expecting it." <laughs> what well, says unknown aircraft heading our way? It appears from the Savage Land. So right there, they're expecting it. No, no, no. I mean. This guy is running into the room like it's an emergency. Semyon Edwardovich, an alert from Ruskaya, seconded by the Americans at Edmundson Scott. Unknown aircraft heading our way. It appears from the Savage Land. So, so this is like this is like a surprise. Yeah, so he wasn't expecting it, but now that he's told everybody else, everybody else is now expecting this from the Savage Land. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but what they don't expect is like a giant citadel to blast up through their base, killing most all of them uh, and knocking out the rest of them. Which brings us to the meat of the story <clears throat> where we leave finally the prelude <sighs> and we enter into the Shattered Star. The 250th issue of The Uncanny X-Men by Chris Claremont, Merck Silvestri. Uh, guest finisher is Steve Lealoha. 
Rose, Joe Rosen's the letterer, Glennis Oliver is the colorist, Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is just the editor-in-chief. Having read this issue, I don't know what the Shattered Star refers to. Um, it does say that it is the 250 issue of the Uncanny X-Men, in case you didn't realize that from the cover. This issue is kind of a mess. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting things that happen in it, but it feels like an annual story. It feels like a lot of people didn't edit this because there are things that happen that don't make sense. Um a lot. Yeah. But we'll get there. So a bunch of ships show up. These are the ships that they were talking about. Uh, Alex is with them. He's dressed up as a guard. Um, the teddy bear dude. I can't remember what his name is, but he's he's clocking Havoc quite a bit. Yeah, they keep showing the teddy bear dude, meaning like he'll, he's going to come into play. He's in like two panels here, and he's got some beady eyes on Alex. He's like a blue Ewok. <laughs> And he's, uh, yeah, he's definitely suspicious. Like his his brow is furrowed every time we see him and Alex in the same panel. It's as though he's reading Alex's mind. And Zala Dane, she walks up and she's like, ah, oh, there's a bunch of people who died and the ones that live, well, they can be our servants. So so make them our servants and, and then kill the others who can't do anything. And Havoc says, ah, I better stop them, but should I? And then he says, well, in the few seconds I was thinking about it, they finished the job. Oh, well. Well, maybe it's better this way. I can just bide my time and and uh, learn all I can. Before I make my move in two pages. So inside the Citadel, they walk up to the transmuter, which apparently was some high evolutionary tech. It's the transmutator. Sorry. That's Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure we got that in there. It's her key to ultimate power and victory. I feel like we never learn what it actually does. I mean, to some degree we do. I guess we kind of do. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, she, well, we'll see. She orders Barbarus to place Lorna Dane on the dais, which I believe is the thing that the transmutator is on. Yeah, it's like a table yeah. on the on the underneath the mutator. Uh, she is being knocked out or kept conscious by the Black Lotus, which I guess leaves you conscious. But, well, it seems like in Lorna Dane's case, it's leaving her unconscious. Is she conscious but immobilized or is she just unconscious? I was un under the impression that she was conscious but immobilized. But it seems like he says Polaris remains deep within the sleep of the Black Lotus majesty. So we'll see later that maybe the Black Lotus has two modes of operation <laughs> perfect okay is this one of the herbs that uh, house of x and powers of 10 uses probably i was wondering <laughs> if uh I've, i was wondering if, if I, I don't know what i was wondering but i thought that too <laughs> uh alex is there um and he says that uh it's not lorna you'll have to worry about um inferring that he's the one to be worried about he still cares for her and it might even be love Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they weren't in love for quite a while until they went their separate ways and cheated on each other. Although I don't know that Polaris actually really cheated on Havoc. Yeah. I mean, she was possessed by Mel with by Melis for a long time. So meanwhile, Havoc's out there with any lady that looks at him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And then they die. Or betray him. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. Both of those Summers guys, they're not good people. 
No, no, they're not. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, brainchild the the man baby with a diaper comes up. Uh, Why is he in a diaper? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's not like he's not childlike. He's like. Don't get me wrong. I kind of like that he's in a diaper. I just don't know why he's in a diaper. I don't know either. Uh, so maybe he talks like a little child. <laughs> a classic. My own brilliant did without It might be. Yeah. Okay, now you do yours. No, I, I think you covered it. Oh, darn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so brainchild, he's like, I'm no high evolutionary. Uh, but I can try, uh, but this might mean your death. So, you know. Blue Bear still casing uh, Havoc. Mm-hmm. See him again. Havoc decides it's time to make his move, and he yells out, Zaladane! And she's like, ah, Havoc, I was wondering when you would reveal yourself. And uh, he, in, in this panel, as he is shooting, uh, he, as he's powering up, he kind of looks like he's dressed like a circus clown. Yeah, or he kind of looks like uh, one of the cone heads. It's, it's a cross between those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, so another guy, I guess another guard, uh, flips around a stick, hits Alex in the gut, uh, I guess kind of disabling his plasma beam or interrupting his plasma beam. And that's when blue bear guy, whose name, uh, is this Lupo. Is Lupo. Yeah. He's like, ah, Gaza, the blind guy, he made you. So I think Gaz is the guy who hit him with the stick. Well, that could be. And uh, yeah, he he knocks Alex to the ground. He's about to kill him. He's about to feast on his heart. But he Zal- says, "You butchered my babies, my proud warbirds." And I'm of course that refers to the uh, the, the 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 joust birds we were talking about last episode that mm. have a incinerates. But how are they his babies? He cared for them as if they were his own. I guess so. It's like a Rancor thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Uh, Zaladane says, uh, no, Lupo, I want to keep him alive. And uh, Lupo also wearing underpants. Well, somebody like Tom DeFalco was like, can you put pants on them? <laughs> Lupo says. You should take a page from Beast Book and wear some blue underpants. Oh, man, totally. Instead of these tidy whiteies he's got on. He says, blood for blood, that's the rule, life for life. Barbarous comes along and says, Zaladane said no. Little teddy bear. <laughs> don't don't ta- call me that. Don't call me that, Barbarous. Never call me that. And let me go, curse you. <laughs> it's kind of like a cross between Winnie the Pooh and Yogi Bear and Homer Simpson. I feel like there was a little teddy ruckspin in there as well. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Zaladane says, not till you remember Beastmaster. Beastmaster. So is he Lupo the Beastmaster? And maybe yeah. he had uh, animal control over the joust birds? Honestly, the first time I read this, I missed the Lupo thing, so I thought his name was Beastmaster. <laughs> I think I did too. But then all I could think of is uh, that guy. There's like a different guy plays Beastmaster in every movie. Well, the guy in the first one. Okay. Mark Singer? Not the, not the one with a Corvette? I don't think I saw that one. I don't think I saw any of them. <laughs> um, the rules are what uh, I make them, says Zeladane. Um, Lupo he def- must pay for what he's done. That's not what he sounds like. It's the teddy bear uh, voice. He must, um, he must pay for what he's done. <laughs> he shall, Lupo, and his fellow X-Men with him. 
but it's going to be Zaladane's way and at her pleasure. And that's when Frogman comes, uh, Amphibious. And he uses the Black Lotus to knock, uh, to make Havoc immobile, but he's still conscious, mm. which seems to be a little bit different than what they did to Polaris. So I think it's got different leaves and you just use the correct leave. Maybe when Eesh. Amphibious controls the Black Lotus, it keeps you conscious. But when Barbarous uses it, okay, I don't know. It's just one of the many inconsistencies with this issue. So meanwhile, uh, while Lorna Dane has been put onto the dais and Zaladane goes up and she says, uh, I don't want him to miss any of this. And Brainchild initiates the transmutator. And there's some things that happen between Zaladane and Lorna Dane. And it looks as if Lorna is being killed. And the orchestra starts up on the dais, on the dais. (laughs) Lorna's on the dais. Uh, Yeah, I thought... Because the way they describe it, she her her body loses physical coherence, flesh and bone melting into purest light. So it seems as though she like absorbs her, dis- dissolves, yeah. and the only thing that is left a few panels later is Zaladane. So yeah, I thought she was like dead and stuff. Well, this is an interesting thing that I probably just glossed over the first time I read it. It says as Polaris here is the pa- uh, here. As Polaris, hers is the power of magnetism. And here at the South Magnetic Pole, it's as though all of the natural force of the Earth itself is pouring through her. So that's why they're in Antarctica. That's a neat touch, I guess. More raw energy than she's ever before wielded, more perhaps than any living being can endure. So that kind of explains something later. Uh, Okay. Put a pin in that, as you like to say. I don't remember what you're referring to so you will definitely have to pull that pin out and explain it to me okay i'll make this noise when i do it (laughs) (laughs) perfect she screams and then all the melting stuff happens alex cries out lorna and as the whole thing finishes there's laughter and we see a figure walk out of the energy we'll call it yes but now we need to transfer our attention to the Savage Land. But it's a weird amalgamation of the two because it's she's the, the figure is wearing Lorna Dane's clothes. Yeah, in the second panel, you see Lorna Dane's uh, shoulder pads. You see kind of an upside-down triangle where, like above her boobs, and then a V kind of down by her waist. And you see that same kind of design in the figure that's walking out of the energy. Whereas at Zaladane, there's a big Z on her chest, and there's no Z on this lady's chest. Yeah, and her shoulder pads kind of have an arc that go down, whereas Lorna's go straight out. So it definitely makes it look like this silhouette is of Lorna. Yeah. So, well, there you go. <laughs> I'd say put a pin in that, but I know that this never gets resolved. I don't remember, to be honest. <laughs> this issue was a bit of a struggle. I feel like anytime we go to the Savage Land and we're floating or flying around in these Savage Land cars, I just tune out. I'm reading <laughs> but the... Kesar. He's not here yet, though. I tuned back no. in when Kesar showed up, but the rest of it's all like, wah, 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 Kesar. <laughs> uh, anyways, they take, a, they take one of these Savage Land cars to Zaladane's base, which I guess... Which is, I thought, where they were. No, this is a different base. This is a futuristic citadel 
looming against the mountain skyline. And it looks kind of like Jabba's palace from Return of the Jedi. Uh, but then when they zoom in on it, you see the pterodactyls. It looks gigantic. Mm. So, okay. I don't know. I was, I guess it was, I was a little confused. Um, we meet Worm, who, who, uh, Zaladane has take some of the Russians and use his power on the Russians, which uh, is to put a um, thin. Oh, how, does, how does he describe it? He calls it a for a mucoid film covering Vasily from top to toe. And so okay. when worm covers you in his mucus, he has complete control over your body. Yes. But we learn later, spoilers, that it only extends to a certain amount of people and then he can't uh, control anybody else. But it's gross. Yeah, it's a pretty cool power. I mean, the only we, way... get, we, get to, we get to see him like basically cream over this guy. <laughs> gross. The only way it could be worse, because he's using his hands to like extend this mucus out, is if like he had a super large mouth and he put his super large mouth like on you and then the mucus would just like drain out from his mouth around the body that could be mm. grosser <laughs> that'd be a cool visual though yeah yeah I mean, as it is it's a pretty cool visual yep so he he uh, we get an example of his power he's got this dude uh, covered in mucus and then there's this woman who's tied up and she's like oh my god what's happening and uh, he's like let me show you uh and the guy is like lasha forgive me i'm trying as hard as i can to resist and she's bring he's bringing her to Worm, presumably to take control of her as well. And Worm says, bring her to me, then the pair of you can deliver thy friend. And then we cut to where the X-Men are at the bottom of the Citadel, where Psylocke is listening in to Worm's loving embrace. She So she they are currently listening to the conversation that is happening at the top or middle of the Citadel. Yeah. Well, this is the this is not the Citadel that blasted through the Antarctic. This is a different Citadel. This is the Citadel that they flew to. Yes. And we also, we don't know how, I, I got, I don't, where did they come from? Were they in like San Francisco or New York? It never is explained. No, no, no. In the last issue. Oh, they were in... Punta. Oh yeah, yeah. So wherever. we don't we don't know how they got from Punta Arenas to the Antarctic. Not that it really matters for the Zaladan crew because we saw them flying in, but we also just don't know how the X Men got there. I guess we could assume that Gateway teleported them. They hitched a ride. Yeah. Or they they went on the Gateway portal. Yeah. They they mysteriously appeared in the Savage Land to listen in this conversation. Uh, Dazzler. Now the X Men at this point, uh, Havoc's in that Citadel, so it's just Colossus, Dazzler, and Psylocke. Uh, Dazzler's like, "What do you hear? What's going on?" And, and Psylocke says, uh, "You don't ever want to know." And then takes off all her clothes and dives into the river. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's yeah. This part didn't. I got confused at this part. So. She takes all of her clothes off, says, let me be the both of you. And she jumps in. They make a comment about the armor is her only defense against physical attacks. Colossus well, that's is like... The, that's what Dazzler says. Don't take off your armor. We're in a combat mission. Yeah. And Colossus says, I'm sure she knows that, Allison. From her behavior, I don't believe this was a conscious act. Whatever she, quote, unquote, saw with her tele telepathy must have been too awful for even her to bear. Short was me! <laughs> 
That's when he says that in reaction to Psylocke saying, waterfall, setting up undertow, can't break free. So for some reason, she jumped into the water. I guess you could assume like everything was so dirty and unpure and gross that she just had to get clean. That's what I was figuring, because as she's walking away, she does say, leave me be the both of you, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. So this this does feel like a conscious act, even though Colossus says, this is not the conscious act. Yeah. It's weird. At any rate, Colossus dives in after her and grabs her by the arm because she Ooh. gets into a uh, she gets into an undertow. Maybe the let me be the both of you is her talking, uh, somebody else talking through her but it's just not very well explained. Uh, well, because, or, or she could be talking to two different people. Oh, maybe. Cause I feel like with what, with what happens, she still has control of her yeah. voice. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll try. So Colossus, <laughs> Colossus grabs her and, uh, he's worried about snapping her bones like twigs. Uh, and then he grabs her by the throat because, somebody has taken over his mind or his body, but not his mind because he does say out loud, this is madness. What am I doing? So he does have control of his voice. Yeah. So I I don't, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this water is nothing but worm fluid. (laughs) She says, uh, it isn't Peter's mind that's being controlled. It's his body. And, uh, Dazzler starts shooting him. Uh, Colossus, let her go. You're drowning her. He says, I know, but I cannot. I like this part. Colossus looks around and he's like, use your laser, Dazzler. I'm killing Psylocke. This is the only hope of saving her. Cut off my arm. That's pretty serious. Yeah. Dazzler says, no. Rogue recently, a couple issues ago, used the same argument. and I ended up getting her sucked through the Siege Perilous. And then we see a shadow in the background uh, that is Worm, and I'm wondering, how did he get downstairs so quickly? Well, he he has a snake body. We didn't really mention that the, his lower torso. He's like um, Globulus from G.I. Joe. Like, he's like a worm with a evil grin. Yeah. Yeah, he's like Globulus, yeah. except not as cool. No. <laughs> this guy has like an elf hat and an elf vest. He's kind of like that guy from that uh, X Factor thing, annual mm, or whatever. Glowworm. Glowworm, yeah. yeah He's yeah, kind of yeah. like Glowworm, but the evil version of Glowworm. Yeah. Poor wee creature. Let worm <laughs> remove worry from your life forever. And this is the other part that is confusing. So, okay, so you're you're thinking, okay, so he covers Dazzler in his goo. Mm-hmm. But how is he controlling Psylocke? Or did he not control Psylocke until she dipped into the river of what you're assuming is goo? <laughs> Adam, I have I have no idea. It doesn't to me unless the water, the big pool of water, is nothing but um, worm goo, worm controlling goo. I don't know why Psylocke jumped into the water, and I don't know how Colossus doesn't have control over his faculties. I feel like I'm missing a panel somewhere where, like. As Colossus is standing behind the two of them, he's being like covered in goo secretly. Yeah, or even just some like a panel later on in the issue of like that's how I controlled Colossus. But because when when Silex says it isn't Peter's mind that is being controlled, it's his body. Shouldn't she also be saying also this is the same thing is happening to me? 
I, we're assuming that she, the only reason we assume she jumped into the water is because Colossus says she's not, be, this, this is not a conscious act. But for all we know, Psylocke's like, hmm, I like swimming. <laughs> I don't know, Adam. It's very, it's not clear. I have no idea what's happening. For so all, maybe when Colossus says this is not a conscious act, he just means she's reacting to whatever she saw in revulsion. And so she's, it's kind of a reaction. It's not an action. I feel like if I took all of the word balloons out and was looking at this, that's what I would come up with. Uh, mm. The Colossus stuff doesn't. I, to, the Colossus stuff doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not sure how he controls Colossus. Again, taking away all the expressions, Colossus, or take the word balloons. Colossus's expression does say, "I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to drown Psylocke." Yes. What also doesn't make sense is that a panel before he starts choking her out, he's like, if I grip too hard, pull the wrong way, I'll because I'm made of steel and she's flesh and blood and she's not wearing anything but her bathing suit at the moment, I'll probably snap her bones like twigs. And then four panels later, he's still choking her. So I guess maybe he's resisting. Because mm. I would think if somebody had full control over his body, Silak would be dead. But yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Um, Dazzler, she's not in control of herself because she's, she's cu covered with worm goo. She's getting ready to do her little laser beam, and she's thinking to herself, Betsy, help me. But she can't. She's, uh, un she's falling unconscious. She's running out of air. She's upset because she led the X-Men to this. Because remember, last issue, she became the leader for a minute. Well, wait a second. What is Zaladane's power? Maybe it's Saladane that is controlling Colossus. I don't know what Saladane's power is. Ooh, well, well, if we connect the dots and we assume that Zaladane took uh, Polaris's power, we could assume that Zaladane is magnetically controlling him. Okay. I, I mean, I, I kind of. I mean, that makes more sense than anything else. Yeah. I don't know, man. There was a lot of uh, a lot of leaps to conclusions in this issue, but I think we got there. Yeah, I, I feel like we've probably put more thought into why this all happened than anybody else did that was involved with this issue. <laughs> so, anyways, we uh, we move on. Uh, uh, Betsy Psylocke uh, she finds herself back in Australia. She doesn't know how she got here. Maybe maybe Gateway brought her here, saved her from being drowned. Um, she feels like. Uh, last issue, didn't she get some information that said if they come back here, they'll die? No, that's that's happening now. Uh, okay. Because uh, she goes on and says, a final scenario playing out with my synapses. So, so then she's like, well, maybe I've not teleported. Maybe I'm actually dying and this is my final thoughts. She's having like a weirdo dream sequence uh, where she sees herself in a, as half of a cyborg hanging up a wall. And she sees Gateway. Uh, she sees Dazzler and Colossus, I, I guess, dead. Um, yeah. Oh, and there's Alex's head. I didn't even notice that the first time. Yeah, you see Colossus on a spike, Dazzler hanging upside down, and uh, Havoc's head with his eyes still open on a pike. She sees Gateway in chains, um, and she's trying to figure out what gate. She thinks maybe Gateway is the one who brought her here to this. But she 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 runs through all of the things that this could possibly be. Maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm near death. Uh, maybe Gateway brought me here. So many possibilities. Uh, and then Gateway 
which is weird that if he's a guy that doesn't talk, that they would chain up his mouth. Well, she does even say, like, before you wouldn't speak, now you can't. How am I supposed to help? And he pulls out the siege perilous and gives it to her. And he says, is this our only hope then? To run away? Hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure where we get that from. Like, where does where she, is the siege perilous just associated with running away? The siege perilous allowed the power, uh, the ability to start over. I guess a fresh start. Roma, when she gave it to him, is like, "Here's Siege Perilous. Like with it, you could start over." She also says, "If we return here, are you saying it's certain death?" Um, that's kind of a leap. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she saw the visions of of her uh, the the remaining X Men dead. Yeah, but I mean, she's really over interpreting this, <laughs> or taking it very literally. This vision. Yeah. Well, there you go. Death's on the horizon, I guess. Anyways, uh, back at the Savage Land, uh, Blue Teddy Bear is drinking some booze with his wolves. Glugga, lugga, 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 glugga, lugga, lugga, lugga. Uh, Brainchild is hitting on Lorna Dane. He wants her to be his queen someday. Alex is up. Well, he's not up. He's chained and sitting, I think, in the Black Lotus is like right in front of him. So... He's conscious and can talk, but maybe can't move. So, so Polaris, as as I mentioned, is here, mm-hmm. whereas a minute ago I thought she was dead. <laughs> yeah. So, so we never really figure out what exactly happened. I mean, we do figure out that because they say here um, Polaris no longer has her powers, mm-hmm. um, and so we spoiler Zaladane does. So Zaladane took her powers. Zal- did Zaladane have powers before is the question. I don't remember. I don't think so. Yeah. I think she was like like a magic person. Brainchild goes on to say, um, I can't, the Empress may not look kindly on those who trifle with her sister, i.e. I can't take advantage of the situation. This is the first time that Polaris is like, what, Zaladane's what? That's crazy. Well, I guess... I suppose, I suppose in a way I should though, thank her. in a way I should thank her because the power transference between us, so meaning she lost her powers, somehow also destroyed the Marauder Malice who grafted itself onto my psyche. So that's convenient. Yeah. Enough talk, says Teddy Bear. If Zaladane truly cared, she wouldn't have left the female here with us. So we cut back to the throne room upstairs. And here's where we finally get Kesar And Shanna, but no Zebu. Also, uh, the girl that, Nereel, who who still has feelings and uh, mentions uh, Peter quite a bit, although Colossus, I don't think, ever even looks in her direction. Well, Colossus is being controlled right now, um, uh, I guess I guess by Zaladane, because yeah. she, she does kind of... Seem like she's the one behind all of his actions at this point. Um, also, Nareel's child, Peter, who is Peter's child, unbeknownst to him, mm-hmm. and Kesar and Shana's child, who may or may not have a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is the baby is Peter, and right, and the boy there is Kesar and Shana's son. No, the boy is Peter, and oh. the baby is. The Kassar family. Okay. Uh, Lil Zabu. <laughs> I'm a little bit Zabu. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Zaladane does say that uh, Worm has his, 
Defiant to the last, I like that. And once Worm has had his way with you, you'll know firsthand how it feels to be my slaves. Unfortunately, Colossus, or unfortunately, the, the, his influence is limited to flesh, but I've got other means to control Colossus. I shall demonstrate by having him slay your baby, Kesar, and Nareel's son. Okay, so you're right, because she is doing like a little green glowy thing as she says that. Mm-hmm. So she's controlling Colossus with her uh, Polaris's powers. Yeah. Um, I... The confusion is the fact that she wasn't in the last scene. Yeah, I, I feel like that last scene could have, <clears throat> excuse me, used some of that uh, orange power signature stuff around Colossus's body to indicate. Oh that yeah, some, that would have been a good idea. Yeah, like oh, he's totally being controlled by something else. Maybe Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri like, oh no, it'll be a mystery this way. Or maybe it's just really clear and we're super dense. I don't think it's that. <laughs> I mean, I'm dense. Don't get me wrong, but (laughs) we're both pretty dense on this one. I like how amphibious is wearing not just underwear, but like tidy whiteies. They're all wearing tidy whiteies. (laughs) No, but he's got tidy whitey gang. He's got uh, brainchild has like a folded diaper. Like it looks like somebody made up his diaper for him. Um, (laughs) Amphibious. He has like uh, elastic bands around his legs and his waist for his tidy whiteies. It's awesome. As does. Blue Bear, um, although his are a little bit of a different design, they kind of have a thong in the back. <laughs> yeah, and Kesar well, is wearing underwear too, but he's got like He-Man pants. Well, yeah, I mean he's got Kesar pants. Yeah, which is fine. We, we've accepted that. <laughs> um, Lorna Dane has had enough, and uh, she says, "If they get their hands on me," uh, and she says, "Wow," and she pulls the chains out of the wall. She uses the momentum of the chains and the things she pulled out of the wall to knock Amphibious out of the way. Brainchild goes to shoot her and the bullets just bounce off. And uh, she's basically Superman without flight. <laughs> okay. What's, so, what's the pin? So what, what's happening with her is that she got, because of that south magnetic pole energy panel that we read before, She's Superman. So whatever the mutator did somehow connected her to more raw energy than she's ever before wielded, more perhaps than any living being can endure. I did not get that during the first read. Okay. So maybe as she's walking out of the energy, uh, somebody threw a black lotus in her face. Well, no, I think it probably just took time until the plot was convenient for her to have it. I get that. But, I mean, the thing walking out of the power signature at the very beginning was Lorna. Oh, well, <clears throat> I th- yeah, that never is really explained. Um, they really don't, like, it's clearly Lorna. It's almost like they, they were going to have the two of them merge. Mm-hmm. And then they changed their mind. <laughs> right after that panel, they're like... Well, I don't like that idea, but we've already drawn the panel, and I'm not drawing it again. So, change the story. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Well, he uh, Lorna flicks Brainchild away. Say goodnight, little man. Flicks him against the wall. So she's super strong. Way to go, babe, says Alex. She comes up, and she gives him a big kiss, and, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm taller. I've been aching to do this for so long, to hold you, kiss you, once more as myself, not as Malice as pet. Man, I'm tall. And uh, Alex is like, what's happening here? Why are we both so changed? Because I guess he's a killing machine and now she's tall. I think that's still her thinking that. 
Is it? But it could go either way. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Well, then what's Alex's change? It's a good question. I mean, it doesn't. I'm not really, I guess he's not wearing his Havoc outfit. <laughs> That's the only reason I thought that Alex said it because he's aware that he's like, he's not like being delicate with his powers. He's kind of cutting loose. And he would also be like, wow, she, I, I didn't realize how tall she is. Why are and we so tall? Changed? Yeah. <laughs> I have a total personality change and she's tall. <laughs> so whatever. Yeah, you might be right. Alex or. Colossus is still under Zaladane's control. Shauna is pleading with her to to not bring the children into it. Zaladane, for pity's sake, your fight's with us, not the children. Please, I beg you, have mercy. I will do anything you ask. <laughs> Zaladane says, you'll do that anyways. Um, it's not really a good argument. If she kills her kid, she's probably not going to do anything she asks. Well, Worm's going to put his goo all over her. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yep. Man, Salad Dane's awful. Mm-hmm. Psylocke, she calls out to Lorna, establishes a mental rapport. She yes. says, uh, I've got control over my mind, but not my body. Worm's got it. So I don't know how because he never really touched me. And I'm not covered in goo like everybody else is. But Well, she actually is. Um, and they they it's in a throwaway panel coming later. Okay. In the images we see now, it does not look like she's covered in goo. No, it doesn't. So, but anyways. It's another one of those weird things that you're like, what? But it is explained later, as is apparently everything is. We just have to wait for it. <laughs> so she says, can you, uh, the situation here is critical. Can you help? And she comes out and she's like, well, I can. Uh, Alex is zoned from the drugs. Um, and that's when Cyclops takes control of Alex's body. My apologies, Alex, for... Or wait, she's Mrs. Doubtfire, right? <laughs> my apologies, Alex, for using you as my puppet, but I cannot see any other way. <laughs> Colossus is trying with all of his might to resist. And he's about to murder his own son that he doesn't know is his son. And he says, Zaladane, you have made your point. Please do not make me do this. Okay. Alex, under Psylocke's control, blasts. So a, a hole away. is blasted through the floor, and I looked at this panel, and I don't know where Colossus is. I don't here. either. Somebody went flying. But whatever happens distracts Zaladane, presumably, so that Colossus does not kill the children. Right. Which is good. And then... Um, Polaris busts through the doors and says, surprise, bunkies. <laughs> I don't like that word. <laughs> it's very Claremontian. Bunkies. What's up, bunkies? It's very Kitty Pride. Yeah, I don't like it. Doesn't Wolverine say bunkies for a little bit, for like a minute? Uh, probably. He says a lot of things. Scoot, Scoot bunkies. <laughs> Futs and bunkies. Zaladane says, can it be impossible? I stripped Lorna Dane of her mutant... I'm going to make her French, too. I stripped Lorna Dane of her mutant power. Where could she have gained such strength? No matter she's but flesh, Colossus can easily smash her to a pulp. Fud. So then they fight. Uh, Colossus and Zaladane fight. And they're going toe-to-toe. And uh, even Lorna Dane's like, whoa, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm giving it to Peter as good as he's... As I'm getting her, but she's, she's holding her own against Colossus and she's very Look at the first panel where Colossus punches Zaladane. It's very funny. Uh, Lorna <laughs> like a Like a roundhouse overcut. It punches her in like. The stupidest way possible. Punches her down. But over his head. <laughs> it's, it's very bizarre. 
Like, I mean, in- I guess, I guess if you want to go the full like logic, she, he is being controlled yeah. by Zella Dane. So maybe she's just grabbing his fist and throwing it at Polaris. So yeah. that's why it kind of goes over his head and into her neck. It's, it's funny. Uh, Peter, Nareel Peter, grabs the gun and shoots the chains that was holding Kisar. And Kisar. Told you so, Zaladane, your tide's turned. Uh, and so Colossus and uh, Lorna Dane continue to fight. Looks like Colossus is gaining the upper hand here. Uh, but Psylocke takes or tells Peter, son of Nareel, I am Psylocke. Shoot the worm. Zaladane is speaking through Colossus now for some reason. Ah, yes, he is. So Peter, son of Nareel, shoots at Worm, misses, but is enough to hit the chair that he's next to or the dais or whatever he's next to. And the throne. It, the throne, it all goes crashing on him and knocks him unconscious. So now everybody has control of themselves again. Uh, except that nobody can move because they still have the stuff over them. Mm. Without Worm's will to motivate his slaves, we are all imprisoned within our control membranes, says Psylocke, inferring that she is indeed covered in slime. And uh, then Allison says, not me, Bets, not any longer. And using light powers, she busts all of that crap off of her. And that's when Psylocke says, I should be so lucky. Unfortunately, my membranes underneath my armor can't remove one without the other. There's no time to try. See, so there you go. She's stuck. <laughs> See to the others. I should be okay since I'm wearing armor. Uh, Havok back at the cell or whatever. He said his, he says his head's muzzy. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, my head's so muzzy. It's a cross between fuzzy and messed up. Muzzle, muzzled. <laughs> muzzy. Oh, bunkies, my head is muzzy. <laughs> Anyways, he can barely string one thought after the next. Uh, all the goons Psylocke, are ganging up on Lorna. Psylocke used Havoc for just to blow a hole through the ceiling. Oh, That's yeah, it. yeah. And so he regains control or he uses all of his might or whatever. Should have done this before when I had the chance. Would have saved a lot of lives. So he gets his uh, arms up and he shoots at Zaladane. But Zaladane is actually is able to redirect his plasma beams. But she is not quite in control of her magnetic powers, so what she ends up doing is shielding herself but not uh, anchoring herself to anything, and so she flies through the wall. Yep. And then the wall, the side of the building collapses on her. And uh, Havoc says, Heads up, people, wall's coming down on Zaladane, I hope. Zaladane must be unconscious or dead because I am myself again. And he uses, well, Lorna and Colossus use their powers to punch out Gaza and Barbarus. Forgive me, Lorna, for striking you. Yeah, she says, no problem. No harm done. <laughs> Is it my imagination or has Lorna grown as big as me? Hmm. So then uh, Kesar, Nareel, Peter, Shauna, the X-Men, some other people... They evacuate the citadel and they head towards one of the sky sleds, one of Zaladane's sky sleds, and they fly off. And uh, he turns around, uh, Havoc, he says, um, well, actually, first of all, somebody says, Psylocke and I freed him from worms, membranes, Kazar, uh, and Kazar scooted him out the ground level entrances. 
So all of this stuff happened off panel, but yeah, Dazzler and Psylocke saved all of the Russians. My only point is that we got to use uh, Bunkies, Muzzed, and Scooted all in the same issue. Oh, yes, I, uh, yes, I, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Havoc turns around and uses his powers to, he's going to disintegrate the uh, Citadel. Shazam, he he says. And Shazam right. shows up. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Did you see my movie? It was pretty good, wasn't it? Pretty good. Uh, and this is, I think, Havok who says, Havok! But uh, the Citadel is protected, I guess. Why would Havok say Havok? I think... A Colossus, I think I meant to say. Dazzler? I think it's Dazzler. Could be. You see Havok holding Colossus back and somebody saying... So Havok says, so Daz, that mean only the bad guys are left? Mm. And then Dazzler responds and says, pretty much, I guess, Havok! There you because go. Because... He blows up the citadel. He tries to, but well, he tries to. It bounces off of the citadel and back at the sky sled, which makes the sound effect of Vark. Uh, but somebody says, "Pull up, Kesar, uh, an energy shield blocked your shot." That means Zaladane's awake. So next time, I'll try harder. Dazzler's like, "You were ready to kill them." In case you hadn't noticed, Dazzler, they had worse in mind for us. So, so there we go. Yeah, Colossus is like, oh, Havoc makes it sound so simple. Perhaps he's right. If Zaladin gets a hold of me again, who knows who she, who she might have me murder. And poor Nareel is like, oh, Peter Nikolaevich, my love. If only there was a way to ease your torment. But, <laughs> but nobody must know. <laughs> hey, I finally got some sort of dialogue in this issue. <laughs> Sort of weird that I'm here at all. Yeah, it's like a it's like a weird callback that doesn't need to exist. Because didn't the whole Nereal Colossus thing was that a classic X Men or was that a like Marvel saga thing? It was both. It started in classic X Men and then I think it showed up again in an annual. Okay. So you could potentially not have seen any of that. That's what I'm getting at. Is a lot of people might be like, why is there a woman named Nareel with a son named Peter? And why is she fawning over Colossus, whose name is Peter? This is weird. So readers might not know that Peter is Peter's son. Absolutely. I connected it, but only because of the extensive reading we've done. <laughs> Anyways, Kesar's like, pardon me, but aren't you X-Men supposed to be dead? What of it? Hey, no problem. I was once dead myself. Shot in the head. It's not a picnic. <laughs> but I got better. <laughs> I was sick and then I got better. Because that's what all Claremont characters say. Uh, yeah, Zaladane, uh still in place. She may have lost her army, but she still has her powers and her mutates. She won't stop till she's won. Question is, how do we stop her? A formidable foe thinks... Psylocke to herself. A formidable challenge, but at least if we remain here in the Savage Land, we avoid the fate I saw in my dream. I'd best warn the others that if we return to Australia, we shall surely die. Dazzler says, Hey guys, Gateways teleported us home, but that's weird because as was established at the beginning of last issue, Gateway can only teleport you back from where you started. Are we to believe that the X-Men were in mid-air when Gateway teleported them to the Savage Land or Punta Vallarta, Punta Gorda, wherever they were? So either they're not going to explain that and that was a mistake or it wasn't Gateway. Uh, 
Well, uh, anyway, yes, the the X Men teleport from that spaceship to a uh, back home uh, to a, to a thing, but Gateway isn't there, so it may, maybe it wasn't. Uh, Gateway's either or Gateway's either not there or all of the Flash is covering up Gateway because there's a lot of like energy occurring here. But yeah, I, I guess I don't remember. Maybe we'll find out here in uh, X Men number two fifty one, which is actually called Fever Dream. And spoilers, Adam, it is one of my favoriteest X Men issues ever. It's got a great cover. Yeah, it's a good story. This, however, was not a good story. The only thing good about this story is it gets us to the next issue. You know, it. it I'm glad we did this because I didn't get it until we went through it bit by bit. And now <laughs> I actually understand what happened. So yeah, but I, there, there's a lot of guessing uh, and there is, but I, to I, conclusions. I, I, I feel like we figured it out. We solved the case. In this episode of Danger Room, the X-Men Comic Commentary Podcast. Do you think that like, we should start an, un- an unofficial Uncanny X-Men errata page in which this is our introductory issue where we say, here is where you saw this, but what actually happened was <laughs> Zaladane off-panel taking control of Peter, and now you know. I just want to know if anybody out there was as confused as we are and if we solved your problem, <laughs> your problem, uh, I doubt that. But this, yeah, to me, yeah. this is one of those issues that when I was a kid, I would just read just to get to the next issue. Because it, I mean, I guess you don't really need to read this issue or the last issue. You could probably skip from two forty eight to two fifty one and really not be behind. So, like. A lot of this stuff doesn't get resolved for a while. I'm seeing that, uh, let's see, Zaladane does not appear again until issue 274, as do most of the rest of the gang. The mutates? The mutates. 274 feels like it's right before Professor Xavier comes back, but I could be wrong about that. I don't remember. Okay. It's it's got it's got Magneto and Rogue on the cover. Yes, I know exactly what a, issue you're talking about. Jim Lee cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Captain America's on the cover too, right? Um, is that the no, next Nick issue? Nick Fury and Kesar. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Well, I still know what issue you're talking about. Okay. Because that issue is, I feel like, somewhat somewhat valuable for some reason. I don't remember why. First, ongoing official Jim Lee, maybe. Ah, maybe I don't remember. I don't either. Well, anyways, um, there you go. Uh, we're we're about to to turn turn another chapter in the the pages of the X Men. Uh, if you thought Australia was not great, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, because they're leaving Australia. Spoilers. Sorry. I feel like this is the point where the story just starts moving and never really stops until Chris Claremont ends his run it'll be interesting to reread these issues many like we're getting definitely out of the point where i was collecting like from here on out it it's it's uh bits and pieces and then i think you and i you you rekindled my interest in comics uh so i think you know i i would start rebuying or buying issues buying back issues but i feel like at this point i was only reading them like once through and then bagging and boarding them well, is, I want to apologize for rekindling your interest in comics. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad about that. You should. You should feel terrible about it. 
whereas the issues prior to this would be issues that I would read over and over and over again. But, uh, you know, you get older, things happen. Hey, but we're about to hit your all-time favoritist issue. That's true. Hopefully it holds up because while I've uh, uh, skimmed the pages, I haven't actually read any of the works. I want to savor it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so next, any, next next episode is going to be sexy. Uh, no, it'll just be savory. Oh, okay. It's going to be like a delicious, s- sweet and sour chicken. Ricotta cheese. Is ricotta cheese savory? I don't know. I don't think so. It's just the first thing that came to ha- in my mind. Okay. All right. Anyways, uh, we we, uh, we got some we got some fan mail. Sure did. We got some iTunes reviews. We I don't know about you, Adam, but I I, I stopped regularly checking um, iTunes. But I do have an interesting fact for you. Um, okay. I get an email from someplace called Chartable. I have no idea if they're legit or not. But uh, apparently in the Netherlands, we are ranked number two in the hobbies section. Cool. I don't know if there's just two podcasts registered <laughs> to that category in the Netherlands, but but there you go. We're we're number two. I don't know what it takes to get to number one, but like three people in the Netherlands were driving that number up. So if you're in the Netherlands and you're listening to us, Go tell, Let us know. Go tell one friend to subscribe to us, and that'll probably uh, make us go to number one. But oh, we just lost all of our Netherlands fans. <laughs> Stupid Americans. Uh, an excited nerd says, funny and informative. As far as the two white... Cishet. Cishet. Uh, cishet? Male schmucks? So- yeah, so cis is the term for, and I didn't notice this until like late last year. Uh, the the people that identify as their sex, yes, are, are now called cis. That, yes, I, but what is I, het? Hetero. Oh, oh man. Yep, two white cis het male schmucks make a comic podcast. Yep, I, you've nailed it. <laughs> That's it. And uh, we're also like early forties, and I think that means something somewhere. So, like, we're the most privileged class that exists. Isn't that, isn't that like in schmucks? <laughs> isn't that good? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably rolled up into the word schmucks. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you nailed us there. He goes, this is the cream of the crop. These guys clearly know what they're doing. I'll take that. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good review. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, B. Walker 84 says, an uncanny podcast, Adam and Jeremy do a hilarious job of reading through the X-Men while adding their own commentary and occasionally getting sidetracked by G.I. Joe and Star Wars. If you've ever wanted to read through all of the X-Men comics, this is the podcast for you. I couldn't agree more. That is a very good description of our podcast. Yep. Although, uh, we talk about Transformers too. Hello? Do we? Not as much. No, you're right. But we still talk about Transformers from time to time. I can't remember the last time we talked about Transformers. Oh, uh, do yourself a favor and uh, (laughs) read the first six issues of the Transformers uh, and you'll be depressed. Why? Is it not good? No, it's great. Uh, Well, I mean, it's great in the fact that like it follows the cartoon in the fact that they crash on Earth. But like the Decepticons all escape and like the only but uh, Transformer who's left, quote unquote, alive is um, Ratchet. And right, he right. spends a good long time, like a, a number of those first issues, trying to like reconstitute the rest of the Transformers. And then he brings back the Dinobots. Yeah. It takes a so, while to get going, but it's like, it's pretty, I feel in my memory anyways, the first few issues are definitely not like, we're the 
Autobots and we're gonna come get you Decepticons. It's very much like uh, we don't have to worry about those Autobots anymore because just the ambulance is alive. Yeah, no, it, it was it was pretty good. Um, and then the there was the issue where Megatron gets stuck as a gun. Oh and yeah, the guy's yeah. just running around shooting people, and he's got like so much power and stuff. That was a good issue. Yeah, uh, I feel like um, what was his name? Uh, the guy that wrote for that. Uh, I think it was Bob Budiansky. Yes, uh, he. I think he had. He was. I think he was uh, going. I don't want to say he was trying to be the Larry Hama of the Transformers because I don't know which one came first. It doesn't matter. But he was definitely G.I. Joe came first. Okay, he was definitely as, as far as comic book goes. Maybe he was influenced by Larry Hama, but he was definitely trying to do his own thing and not be like, oh, this is just a marketing comic. Like he was crafting stories and threads and plot lines. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, I feel like Hasbro is like, no, just sell toys. Like, <laughs> put put a Dinobot in there. Put put that stupid dinosaur that turns into a spaceship into an issue. It gets it gets bad. But then apparently, right around when I stopped collecting it, it gets good again. Because the last issue I have is the one where they start going up in value. Mm. Where Simon Furman from the UK takes over. And like the... Like so, like the last issue I have is worth like five dollars or something. The issue after that, which I don't have, is worth like fifteen. Oh. And then the next issue is like like twenty five, and it's ridiculous. The interesting thing for me about that series was that it was it was supposed to be a four issue limited series, and in the fourth issue, it would appear that all the Autobots are dead. Yeah, yeah. So then they make a fifth issue. Yeah, and which I, is kind of neat. And there was... I think the fourth issue was the first one I bought, and I was like, "What? Yeah, what is happening here?" I definitely had one of those middle issues, probably that same issue, because I was like, well, this isn't like I, I signed up because at the same time you had Star Comics doing uh, like ALF and um, uh, Thundercats and Silverhawks. And every issue is just like, we're the Thundercats and we just beat Mumra. And this is like <laughs> all of the Transformers are hanging dead upside down in their own base. And you're like, what? Oh, and Optimus Prime's brain gets transferred into Spike. Yeah. Well, Optimus Prime gets destroyed. Or the, the Matrix gets transferred into Spike. Yeah. Or something like that. I think Optimus Prime gets transferred into a computer program at some point as they're trying to either kill him or resurrect him. I don't remember which. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I do recall that. There was that, that <laughs> remember there was that woman, Electra or whatever? Uh, circuit Breaker. Yeah, Circuit Breaker. Who, who? And there was also the Mechanic. I don't remember the Mechanic. He was a guy with a big wrench. <laughs> but, but I do remember that the cir- that Circuit Breaker had a cameo in Secret Wars too. Yeah, which was very bizarre. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Adam, do you remember the last time we talked about Transformers? Yeah, I do now. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> Anyways, Ethan the Comic Lover, or Ethan the Commie Clover, <laughs> he says, ninth year of the Danger Room. Even in the first episode, I knew this was something special. Adam and Jeremy keep my young brother and I laughing without being vulgar like many other comic podcasts. We we have kept it pretty clean over the years. Yeah, uh, we're not we're not big swearers. We get our one swear a year in. Yeah, we're we're like the PG thirteen. Like we're allowed like one f bomb per year, and that's it. 
<laughs> and I, I don't even know if we use it every year, to be honest. I think we might I have. Think I, I think I do. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like we have a bank of like three or four of those. It's usually whenever we go to the movies and I'm talking about the audience. Oh, those don't, those don't count. <laughs> I'm just, oh, okay. I'm talking about Danger Room proper. Fair enough. Uh, I feel like a lot of, I, I feel like uh, uh, the movie reviews sometimes enter that soft R territory. <laughs> uh, with love for the characters and random pop culture tangents, they guide you through every X-Men comic or character appearance, giving you classic jokes about deadly eyes, white wolves, Skirkle, the alien monster knockoff, high school bands, and many more. Check it out, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Love Another it. really good review. Fantastic. These people are writing great reviews for us. Yes, they've definitely nailed nailed the things that we're all about. And Adam, I want to, we never really talked about language on this podcast because it's very easy to do a podcast and just go all potty mouth and early on i we didn't talk about this again i just consciously was like i wonder if we could do or if i could do this podcast uh without swearing a whole bunch and still have fun be funny be you know hopefully somewhat entertaining uh, and i feel like we've made well, i've maintained that i don't know about you um because yeah, i i, I, I want to make this clear i love swearing yeah i do too but i <laughs> i feel like I, there there's like a certain like i swear a lot at work it, no i just swear a lot in general but not like angry i just no I, no, no i'm I not just angry. like it, to it's, swear it's, it's usually like kind of joking around and yeah. you know it's 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 funny because it's inappropriate sort of thing mm-hmm. that's a that's the type of swearing i like where it's clearly not out of any sort of anger or malice, but it's out of the ridiculousness of just being super crass. Sure. I also uh, feel like the, the X-Men, like the comics, the, the era and the stuff that we're covering, I just don't feel like, I feel like it's like a, you know, it's not appropriate. Like that, yeah, it's kind of, it, you're right. You're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. It's yeah. the material that we're dealing with does not call for it. Yeah. So there you go. On the website, Close Jave Xavier says, wait, did I pronounce that right? I was close enough. <laughs> uh, he says, and he's written into us before, I second most of the points that D. Whiter made in the comments for this episode. Boy, I, I okay, wish... so, th- so okay, this was the, uh, the invasion episode where oh, people, everybody told us about how we were missing the fact that there was a DC uh, Universe invasion event. Yes. He says the parody that was being orchestrated in number 245 was actually kind of clever intercompany trolling, but obviously period specific and very context reliant, like the political and social satire from the early 20th century. This issue doesn't translate well. Decades removed from its original publication ultimately ends up feeling out of place in the main continuity of the X-Men series. Maybe it would have worked better as an issue of what if or a backup feature in the X-Men annual for that year. I feel like the latter would be more appropriate, like an eight page, like, like condense it and actually make it funny <laughs> not make it 24 pages of like i guess this was a thing back in the 80s but nothing I mean, here maybe, is funny maybe yeah i mean I, maybe if you are very familiar with the event then it's funny but outside of that there really were no jokes it was just kind of weirdly not funny yeah but I mean, I guess if you're 13 years old or, or however old and you've read the DC invasion stuff and then you read this, you're probably like, oh, Marvel's really giving it to DC. Exactly. So if you if you're familiar with it, it probably is a lot funnier. But if you're not familiar with it, there's just a complete lack of jokes. I liken it to like Mad Magazine doing parodies of um, 
Agnew Spiro and Richard Nixon. <laughs> and you as a kid reading this in like 1985 and being like, I guess this is funny. I don't know who these people are, but they sure seem to think it's funny. I liken it to Family Guy when they do something and I don't know what it's referencing. Okay. Fair. And it's just like, this is weird and not really funny, but it's clearly a reference to something. Yeah, but at least with the Family Guy, they set up like the one-two punchline, whereas I don't feel like there was a one-two. It was like, maybe it was all one-two or maybe it was all punchline, but I I just... Maybe it's more sophisticated than than, uh, me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, he says, uh, starting with the next issue, 246, uh, the last two years of Claremont's run evolves into a superb multi-narrative epic. Reminds me a bit of what Stephen King did in The Stand, which coincidentally was restored and re-released in 8990. For my money, this is perhaps one of the all-time boldest arcs in comics. It will be interesting to hear what you think. Uh, and I, I think you've already heard a little bit about what you think, but he does make a great point here. Um up until now, the X-Men has mostly been following the exploits of one group of people. Every now and then, we would tangent off to be like, but Angel's doing this, like way in the early days, or Cyclops is doing this. But by and large, the comic has uh, centered on the exploits of one group of people. Um, we are going to enter into a period where we start telling, just like you said, like multiple people's stories in multiple areas of the world and the country, uh, which I recall it being kind of messy, but maybe maybe I was reading it too fast. I don't know. It'll be interesting to... I agree. It'll be interesting to hear what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, also look forward to this. I have read it, but I can't remember any of it. Um, I'm also curious about uh, what you think, close Jave Xavier... <laughs> Um, about the, uh, apparently they're going to reboot the stand as a, as a mini series in 8990. No, now. Oh, are they? Yeah. They're, 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 they're going to try and do it right this time. Well, It'll probably not happen, but so, you know. uh, the stand, which was coincidentally r- restored and re-released in 8990. I am aware that there is a, the stand book, which I've never read. And then King. there was a The Stand miniseries, which I thought came out in 94, like a TV miniseries. Maybe you that's the first time you saw it. It could be, but I feel like it was an event. Like I remember kids at school talking about like, oh, I can't wait to get home and watch the next episode of The Stand. Were kids really like that? Yeah. Well, it was before <laughs> no. the internet and, you know, we had limited access to pornography. So what else were you going to do? Go home you and know, watch the I stand remember, on TV. I remember talking about that when uh, Optimus Prime returned in the Transformers. <laughs> See, that's a thing I completely missed until I was at Best Buy one day and it said like Optimus Prime, the return. And I was like, I'm buying this. And I bought it on DVD. <laughs> it's not very good. No, it was awesome. But at the time, as a kid, you were like, wow, what's going on? Because they did it. They did. They psyched you out a couple times. Yeah. The first time that Optimus Prime comes back, he's all like painted white. And I think he ends up sacrificing himself again or something. And he doesn't really come back. And he, he does at the in the, like the last shot of the last episode, doesn't he? I, I, he does eventually really come back. Yeah. Yeah. But the 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 whole return of Optimus Prime thing as a kid, I was like, oh, this is exciting. Optimus Prime is back. And then like. He's not really back because you, you went through that that weird Rodimus Prime period where mm-hmm. it was a lot of episodes that 
I don't want to say that they weren't as good. They're just not as memorable. Um, I so my recollection of that era was being maybe fourteen, maybe fifteen, being at a little kid's house. Like either I was babysitting or maybe my parents had whatever. I, somehow watching the new Transformers in my mind that it was just season two, but the new Transformers and being like. This is garbage. <laughs> you got to watch the old stuff. Like I, like when they were in space flying around, I was like, man, I don't know. Was... You were a little kid snob. That's awesome. <laughs> this is kid stuff. That's my recollection. I also didn't like the third and fourth or the, the additional seasons of GI Joe when they had the, uh, the technodrome was it? And, uh, all the new characters. I never made it that far. Yeah. I saw a couple of them on TV and I was like, no, nah, I don't like these characters. Where's Duke? I, 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 uh, I don't care about this Hawk guy. Yeah. I, I remember that was after the movie, right? Or is that I before think, the movie? I don't honestly know because the movie introduced you to a, like immediately introduces you to a whole bunch of new characters. So I don't yeah. know if that took place in between our classic episodes and like those new ones. Yeah. I can't remember either. But anyways. Anyways, close Zave Xavier, Xavier, he says uh, he does two comments. He feels like he's spamming the site. He feels like uh, they're getting close to an issue that I will call a filler issue. And Adam will tentatively disagree. Uh, He's predicting. And this was X-Men number 246. No, uh, no, he's not telling us what it is because oh, he doesn't okay. want us to ruin oh, okay. the his, surprise. his prediction. Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. I look forward to that. Uh, if it was these issues, I'd call these filler issues. The two fifty, yeah, two forty nine, two fifty, or it could have been edited down to like one issue, probably. I'm gonna tentatively disagree. <laughs> okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, you nailed it. Nice job. Uh, Close shave. Anyways, uh, one semi-quick note on your confusion skepticism regarding the choice to put Dazzler in a swimsuit in number 246. It's been previously established that there's an underground lake below the Outback uh, compound. In fact, it's near the control room's location, as established in the annual that you just reviewed. It's not entirely unreasonable to believe that Dazzler would be returning from a swim and the issue starts. Granted, there's not really a need for Dazzler to have a tube of tanning lotion since there's an absence of UV radiation down there, but I think it's in character for her, the reluctant X-Men, to try to create the illusion that she's living a normal, glamorous life back on the beaches of Southern Cal by doing the things that she'd otherwise be doing, i.e. packing sunscreen uh, for her trip to the beach, plus... Judging from the Doc Savage-like tan she supports in future issues, I think she's sports. using... What? She sports. She sports? Oh, she sports in the uh, future issues. I think she's using that lotion topside in the Australian desert. Actually, forget Doc Savage. Her tan is closer to Anakin Skywalker in the final act of Revenge of the Sith. Yep, I agree. Looking forward to 2020 episodes and issue number episode 300. Still taking suggestions for the momentous event? Uh, sure. I don't know. Why not? Yeah. I mean, we don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're pretty, getting pretty close to there. We should probably discuss it off pod. But uh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll totally take suggestions. I was um, thinking about making a batch of chili and mailing some of it to Adam so we can oh, eat, that's, that's a great idea. <laughs> eat, it, eat it together on our 300th episode. Did you see the movie The, uh, the Parasite? It's in theaters now-ish. No, it's up for an Oscar. You should check that out, and then and we should have some. We should have some rom rom done. <laughs> some some what? Some from rom done. Go go see the movie. Oh, okay. It, it's a it's a it's a great movie. You'll probably enjoy it. Um, the less you know about it, the better. 
Adam, we've already established that I only see two types of movies in the theaters, Star Wars movies and Marvel movies. Well, you probably it's probably out on DVD by now or v- Blu-ray or whatever or streaming or whatever. Do you think I can uh, get it for 75.95 from the Columbia House VHS collection? I don't think that exists anymore. <laughs> hmm. It's disappointing. <laughs> maybe maybe there still is one. Um yeah, okay, Parasite, The Parasite? Yeah, it, it's a it's a South Korea movie, so it's got subtitles. Oh, I know what you're. It's the guy that did uh, those other movies, Last Train to Busan, yeah, and uh, the host and the host. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally want to see that. Yeah, check it out. In fact, I think I was watching the Golden Globes, and that came up. It's like, oh, remember, watch that, and then I guess I forgot. I just saw it, and uh, and now and immediately afterward, we made Ramdan. I uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I feel like um, I'm being set up for something gross. No, no, it's actually it's actually very good. Going back to the letter, uh, I don't remember Anakin Skywalker having a tan in Revenge of the Sith. Did is that a thing? Yeah, he gets burnt by the lava. I think that's the joke. Oh, yeah. I've waka, got the high. Waka, waka. I've got the high ground. You're burning. Okay. I uh, I like your uh, solution, close Jave Xavier, for uh, Dazzler bringing UV suntan lotion down into the, the bottom of the lake, um, I'm going to send you a no prize. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's mighty nice of you. Did anybody out there in the audience ever get a no prize? And really, was it just no prize? Or did they send you like an empty envelope? I think that so would, that's, what I, that's what I want to know. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> I always wondered. A piece of paper that says no prize. The honorary no prize. They probably made a big deal about it after a while. Every, every other issue of G.I. Joe was, here's a no prize. Yep. Those are the whole letters pages. It was just no prizes. Yeah. I feel like at some point they started cracking down on giving away no prizes. Yeah. They were like, screw this. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> All Nobody's right. Nobody's reading our comic anymore. <clears throat> well, if, uh, if you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so by dropping us a note at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go, or you can uh, email us, Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes and leave us a uh, review, some stars, uh, subscribe to us, uh, or you can check out one of our luxurious uh, support levels at www.patreon.com forward slash Danger Room. I was looking for that word we used earlier to describe food, and I forgot it. Delicious. No. Uh, savory. You can go savory. check out oh, one of yes. our savory levels. And it doesn't work if I have to explain it. <laughs> uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and we've got just a little bit more to cover. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, I was gonna do the stats this episode, but it's we are running a bit long, so I think I will save them to uh, for next episode. All right, so you, you can look forward to that. The, the, our yearly stats. I did them. Woo! I set them up. Nice. I can't wait to to guess incorrectly. Yay. Uh, X-Men number 245 uh, was boring. Wait, what? X-Men I'm sorry, X-Factor 245. <laughs> X-Factor number 45. X-Factor number 245. No, 45. What did I say? There's not 245 issues of X-Factor. Oh, X-Factor number 245. Have you been drinking? <laughs> I haven't stopped drinking. What is going on? <laughs> uh, anyways, it, it was boring. Uh, yes, I, um, uh, 
So last issue 44, I was kind of defending it in the sense that I, I, I felt like it was a good sci-fi story. It was a good setup. This issue continues the setup and they really need to get past the setup because this, this uh, fighting in an arena yeah. thing has been played out by like everything and it doesn't work any better here. So Angel has to fight this guy, and I don't remember what his name is. Neither one. It turns out neither one of them wants to fight, but this king guy, one of the perfects, he throws out some of these things called goads, which goad you into doing things. <laughs> uh, but they're like little balls with spikes on them, and apparently there's some drug on the spikes. Iceman sees all of this uh, and is kind of defending Angel, but remember, he does not know who he is. He thinks he's one of these half perfect reject guys or whatever they call themselves a changer or something like that um dueler a dueler <clears throat> uh so the tide turns like most people there's betting going on here and stuff and angels turning the tides i don't recall if any cheating occurs but angel ends up getting knocked out um and loses i don't think there's any cheating other than the goads uh okay. angel does attack the the chosen people rather than his opponent. Yeah. There's a interesting little side story. Beast is hanging out with the rejects or whatever they're called. Uh, and uh, one of them gives birth to an ugly baby and everybody's celebrating this. Cause apparently it's miraculous when one these people give birth. Uh, but then the baby dies, which is kind of sad. Yeah. That was horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why did we go through three pages of this? And then they're like, Oh, well here we are on the funeral pyre. Let's burn this dead baby. Yeah, that was probably the only good part because it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is different. Uh, and Beast is like, well, I'm a biophysicist. I can probably help you guys. And I can't remember if they're like, no, nah, don't. <laughs> they said no because that's what the Chosen do, biophysicism. Yeah. Uh, the perfect, or whatever her name is, there's a woman who's perfect. Um, she is taking care of Cyclops's son, little, little Nathan. Uh, and mm -hmm. they find some protein fluid uh, and feed the baby the protein fluid. But then she's worried about like, oh, it came with those other people. Am I going to have to give it back? She doesn't really seem to want to. Oh, no, why would she? So she somehow knows that. Like, There's a couple of people that know that the X-Men came or the uh, X-Factor came from off world. Although they some people just don't believe it. I don't know. It's yeah. I do like the fact that there's this elf-like creature sitting atop the rejects zone. Yeah, he's it's like a naked elf-like char character sitting on top of a spire. It's and that's a, all he, he just kind of sits there. And he was there in some one of the other issues. Like yeah, I think two issues ago he was there too. Uh, I like him. He doesn't say yeah, anything or do anything, but you're like, what? what is his role? <laughs> he seems, seems like he's important. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, Cyclops has to do something with the Celestial, like he's trying to figure out the secret of them. So Cyclops is, is with the third group that is not reject or chosen, but I think that they should change the way of life. And they want to figure out the Celestial, but the, uh, the people that he's with think that the Celestial is going to judge them and murder them all. Yep, sure. It's a safe <laughs> assumption. Yeah. Um, Iceman attacks the Perfects and they're like, all right, well, you're going to have to fight Angel in the arena. And he's like, all right, cool. I'll do that. Uh, Angel's mad. He's like, I swore I'd never let anybody take control of me again. 
and I got taken control of by those goads. I'm not happy about this. Um, here's the only interesting thing about this issue outside of Elf. In Stan's soapbox, he goes on <laughs> to talk about all of the exciting Hollywood projects that are happening in 1990. For example, oh. there was a Captain America movie that was about to start filming in Europe with him facing off against the Red Skull. I'm not sure if that happened and if that was one of those cheesy Captain Americas or if it got scrapped. <laughs> uh, there was a Spider-Man movie that they were getting ready to make. Like that, that like the ink was just drying on that script apparently. Uh, there were movies for Iron Man, Submariner, and buckle your seatbelt, brother, Wolverine. Uh, Stan here, he says, scripts are being written right now. I just don't feel like a Wolverine movie would be all that good. Eh. We're <laughs> even playing with an idea for Ant-Man. But hey, we got to save some surprises for next time. As for TV, it won't be long before we'll be announcing Daredevil in his own series. And the mm. biggest surprise, the biggest wildest surprise of all, who do you think may be co-starring with the Incredible Hulk in his next made-for-television spectacular? The well, it's either got to be Daredevil or Thor, because that's all I remember. Wrong. If you guessed the giant-sized, glitzy, glamorous, gorgeous She-Hulk, you wouldn't be too far wrong. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> so, like, none of that happened. Yeah, I don't think so. No, and it's it's it, it begs the question. So, I mean, the, the Daredevil did go on to show up in Hulk, so maybe maybe they kind of combined some of the things that they were talking about. Well, it was like a Hulk made for TV, like two hour movie. So it wasn't like yeah. a series or anything. So I guess they could have maybe taken a treatment or a draft and been like, eh, we're not going to do a series. Let's just put him in with Hulk and be done with it. Technically, a lot of those things have eventually happened. Daredevil got a TV show. Oh, I'm not saying that they didn't eventually happen, but <laughs> I, I know yeah, it, it's you know I just wonder if somewhere uh, in, in in the Hollywood vaults there's a Submariner script, an Iron Man script, and a Wolverine script from 1989 or 1990. Probably that's just like it hasn't hasn't been released. Nobody's leaked it, and I That'd wonder. That'd be fun to see. And I wonder like. I wonder how good it could have possibly been. Cause, oh, it's probably terrible. Because you know that they would have been writing within the limitations of the effects and the stunts that they could have pulled off in that era. I mean, if you look at any of the material that eventually came out of those early days, you got those that terrible Captain America movie, that terrible oh, yeah. Punisher movie, mm -hmm. that terrible Fantastic Four movie. Well, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't count. Although it, what's interesting about that is... I think the Thing costume is better in that than any of the other two CGI mm. other Thing movies. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. Uh, yeah, that that's X-Factor 35. <laughs> it says next issue. 45, rather, sorry. Cirrus plan is discovered. The baby is taken. The beast is captured. And Gene wakes up. So they give away like everything that happens in the next issue. Uh, this This whole thing just feels like a six-part filler like we don't know what to do for the next six months it started out good i, I disagree i think louise simonson was or uh, louise jones wh whoever she is right now uh was was doing a story and she, i think she's she, she, she's just kind of slowly either losing interest in it or she's just losing the thread of making it interesting i don't know i i felt the same way you did about this one and the, just like something about it was not holding together. I wonder if she's world building, if she's like, finally, like I, I'm not, if I take X factor 
off world to a new planet. I don't have to deal with any of the rules. I can make up this whole perfects, non-perfects, changelings or whatever. And I can have like a whole um, uh, uh, ecosystem and, and political system. And I can really play with these toys. But I wonder if the feedback was like, please put X Factor back on Earth. Well, the world building really worked, I thought, in the first two issues. You obviously disagree. But here is where I feel like it fell apart because they're still world building and they're not telling a story. I and don't dis- – she's doing this uh, – she's doing a good job world building. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not interested in seeing X Factor in this world that she's building, I think is the problem. I guess that's part of the problem, I yeah. guess. So anyways. But also I, I would – say that if she tried to write a comic book that just featured these characters and this story, it, nobody would have bought it. So You think so? Yeah. I mean, not that it's not interesting. It's just it's not it's not the X-Men or the Avengers or a known property. What I, if it was Wolverine goes to this planet? I still think you'd... I, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if Hulk went to it and they called it Planet Hulk, then it might work. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday they'll do it. Anyways, that's, uh, uh, yeah, X-Factor 45. Wolverine number 13 continues the vampire adventure um, where we got two we got two pieces of storytelling happening. One we got in Madripoor. We got these twin brothers who show up at the princess bar and uh, they have a piece of the Gehenna stone and ultimately they end up killing each other because the Johanna Stone makes you crazy. It kind of makes you uh, like uh, Smeagol. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good re- uh, reference. Touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, they both want it, and they both were willing to kill for it, and they eventually end up stabbing each other in the back. And then uh, the owner of the bar, uh, O'Donnell, now has the Johanna Stone. So that can't be good. The uh, uh, the guy that Wolverine and Jessica Drew are with is his name Archie. So Archie is the pilot, and Archie's brother is Bert. Bert. One of those two guys has another piece of the Jenna Stone. And that's Bert, Bert, the guy that's dressed up like Indiana Jones. Uh, he's not dressed up like Indiana Jones, is he? Yeah. Oh, I guess you're right, he is. Uh, at the beginning of the issues, he's, he's more or less normal. He's like, this is the, the whole thing with the Jenna Stone. There was like one, and it captured this demon named Bale, and then they smashed it, and they threw it so that it could never be reassembled. But somebody's trying to get it all together, and this is just one piece. And Wolverine's like, yeah, let me see it. And he's like, no, it's mine. Yeah. And, and that's when like he gets a little weird, and we see those two brothers getting a little weird, and it definitely has like that Lord of the Rings vibe. But... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of you get we get the whole backstory as you said about this this guy Baal. Is he and, uh, was he referenced in the New Mutants by Hela? I thought there was a Bale or Ball or whatever in her story. Could be. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I do not know. The issues that we just read. <laughs> it doesn't matter, Adam. It doesn't. I think I can barely he, remember the issues that we literally just read for this episode. I think Bale or Ball is a very, maybe it comes out of uh, some sort of a religion, but it's a common evil God name. So who knows? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah. Bert Bert does get to shoot some bad guys and he says, what a relief. I hardly got to shoot at all in Temple of, and then he gets knocked out. Uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yep. I missed. He thinks he's Indiana Jones. Yep. I did not put those pieces together. 
Uh, the other interesting thing is Wolverine is is using more Wolverine abilities. He even mentions it in the book. He's like, oh, I've been trying to hide my claws and everything that's going on so that I can maintain my cover. But he starts letting loose his claws and cutting things up and stuff. He faces up against a servant of Baal. And um, he's a big vampire dude who uh, is much more powerful than Wolverine and is like tossing him around and um, electric electric shocks him, cooks his meat, apparently. Tries to rip him in half, but his adamantium bones keep him together. Yeah, luckily. Uh, then the bad guys get the Gehenna stone and or the uh, the piece of the Gehenna stone and leave. And uh, so... So they're going to go, they're, they're probably going to go to Madripoor, I'm guessing. Probably. That's where, that's where they were planning to go last issue, so I, I bet they'll do it. So, those, I mean. Those crazy cats. All things considered, I'm I'm kind of digging the this, this Johanna Stone thing. It's good. And you know what? Peter David writes a, the voice of Wolverine really well. So Wolverine, like, narrates this whole thing. And a lot of, I really liked a lot of that, um, Wolverine narration because yes. it, it just it, to me it just felt like Wolverine and I think part of the reason for that is this might be like some of the earliest Wolverine that I was ever reading so for me this probably was my first real taste of the character gotcha I never read Wolverine so this is all new to me and I like it so I, I don't think I don't think you're just seeing it uh, through rose-colored nostalgia glasses I think it might okay. actually I think it might actually be good wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah man uh, Amazing Spider-Man 33 through 22. I just wanted to mention that bit. Uh, there's a cameo of uh, Sabretooth. Did you read this at all? I flipped through it. I realized I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole because I realized this was uh, drawn by Todd McFarlane. So then I went back to like issue 300 to like look at how the art has evolved and such. So fell down ah, that okay. rabbit hole for a while. Uh, but then I, I came back to the story and I flipped through it. I read a, a teensy bit of it, uh, but I couldn't figure out, I, I didn't see Sabretooth in this issue. He's heavily featured on the cover of the next issue. So Sabretooth is a, a cameo. Um, he's on page 24. Okay. And he murders the, uh, the, I don't even know who this guy is. He murders somebody important in this, in Silver Sable's country. Okay. The prime minister, I think. Okay. Um, but you only see him in shadow. Okay. I only know that it's him because it, because he's on the cover of the next issue. Okay. That's probably why I missed it. Cause I'm like, I don't see Sabretooth anywhere. But yeah. If he was in shadow, that explains it, it. it. It was literally one panel. Okay. And he just kills somebody and goes, rawr. <laughs> and then, uh, Marvel comics presents number, uh, uh, 30 something 34 this continues the excalibur story uh this time we got uh what's her face megan <laughs> thank you i uh, accident i actually kind of dug this issue um i read it last week accidentally so when you started talking about other stuff i was like huh i didn't read that <laughs> <laughs> but i really i mean i i, I like the art uh it's Eric Larson, who, as we've talked about, I'm generally not fond of, but really works in this kind of trippy thing that's going on. Like Megan turns, she gets attacked by a chair. She turns into some toast. Yeah, it's funny that she turns into some toast. Uh, and then she gets eaten by, trapped by a giant toaster. She gets toasted and then launched out of the toaster. 
she meets up with a hybrid Munsters Adams family family, which is which is interesting. Like she's the the normal girl in, in that story. Who I I don't remember what her name is, but you've got like a little Eddie Munster, you've got Grandpa Munster, you've got the thing. But they all have little uh, uh, little um, parody names. Like Thing is Twit. <laughs> But Thing is from Adam's family. Oh, it's an amalgamation. And Cousin It is from oh, Adam's family. You're right. You got Twit. I don't remember. Da Thing is the thing. Yeah, Da Thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, oh, who's the, uh, and the Lurch. Lurch is there too. I don't know what Lurch's name is. Belch. Okay, yep, yep. yep. And uh, Megan is Cousin Megan. Uh-huh. Uh, and meanwhile, um, Captain Britain is, um, being fighting like, the Tin Man, yeah, for but some fighting reason. like this is not the Tin Man from the uh, Wizard of Oz movie. This is like the Tin Man that was featured on the original books. Yeah, it was from the art from the books. Yeah, and I like it because it's just like this sad-looking Tin Man who's like, "Well, here I am." I like it. And uh, Shadow Cat is continuing to phase through as much machinery as she can possibly. Uh, hope to manipulate uh megan fights a dragon uh it's and her, turns it's her, into a dragon it's her mother she, yeah the, i don't know what that's a reference dragon's to. like ah she, i'll take care of my own daughter is this a reference to something i don't know i don't think so but i don't know um uh, grandpa somehow Munster. she is able to breathe fire as a dragon when megan turns to a dragon i didn't know that she could do that but okay grandpa munster is just known as grandpire which is pretty funny <laughs> Yeah. Well, finally, she blasts her way through whatever's happening, and she finds herself in a room. And then we flip over to the fake Looney Tunes, and they're like, something else is happening. Somebody else is messing around. We got to figure out what's happening. Because before, it was all Looney Tunes escapades, and this has been just like weird TV escapades. Uh. They heard from the boss, and the boss didn't change their original plans, so somebody else has been messing things up around here. Do you think the boss is Mojo? It's a, certainly a possibility. I honestly don't know. I don't know either. I mean, this isn't even... This is written by Michael Higgins, so it could just be a random character for Marvel Comics Presents. So, to be honest, of all of the Marvel Comics Presents stories, so far I'm digging this one the most. Okay. It moves. It's not like every issue just rehashes the last issue and then gives you two new panels or two new pages of content. That's true. I mean, it's definitely a different structure. It's basically every character fights some wacky stuff. Yeah. This to me feels like it could be bound up into a collection and, and make sense as a single read through so far anyways. It's in epic collection number one if you want to uh, experience that. I have the comicsology version of that. Which... There you go. I'm not reading from because I don't know how to. <laughs> but I feel like since I legitimately own that, I probably legitimately whatever own whatever I'm reading from. Okay. So that's how I rationalize my theft. Yeah, yeah. I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, whew, I don't have anything else, Adam. Do you? We're saving it for next week. I guess uh, issue number 250 was not double size in comics, but produced a double-sized podcast somehow yeah that's weird totally x-factor number 245 was pretty impressive too <laughs> we got to look forward in time <laughs> all right everybody well until next time my name's jeremy 
My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed.